Dr. Sudh. Hello, folks. Welcome to Cudlow. I'm Larry Cudlow. Well, Alejandro Mayorkas' head is on the chopping block as the House is drawing up his impeachment papers. We'll have Senator Bill Haggerty and House Majority Leader Steve Scalise in just a few minutes to weigh in. Plus, still no word on what Joe Biden's going to do to Iran. We'll talk about that with former defense official Cash Patel. Then Biden's economic ammunition that virtually no one saw coming with Steve Forbes and Steve Moore. I don't know. All the economic models were wrong. Later in the show, journalist Matt Taibbi writes, the Democrats are campaigning on Donald Trump sabotaging the election. But in fact, it's the Dems who are sabotaging Trump. Breitbart's Alex Marlowe, National Review, Caroline Downey, Monica Crowley are going to weigh in. But first up, let's head over to Washington for the latest on the Mayorkas impeachment papers. Fox News senior congressional correspondent Chad Pergram has all the details. Chad, thank you. What can you tell us? Larry, good afternoon. The argument is over high crimes and misdemeanors. That's the constitutional bar for impeachment, whether it's for a president, a federal judge, or in this case, a cabinet secretary. The House last impeached a cabinet secretary 148 years ago. This is what's going to happen. The House of Representatives is going to impeach Secretary Mayorkas, and there is absolutely nothing anyone can do to stop it. That's going to happen. There is not one district in America that is not impacted by this border. On the House floor, Republicans can only lose two votes on impeachment. It's about the math. There are two to three Republicans who could struggle to impeach. Democrats believe impeachment is a bridge too far. You do not have a right to demean this institution, to bastardize the impeachment clause of the Constitution to such a degree that you can't even produce a legal memo in support of your articles of impeachment that do not exist in history. There are two articles of impeachment. One accuses Mayorkas of not enforcing the law. The other says Mayorkas lied to Congress by saying the border was secure, that Democrats believe it's all political. I think another saying uh, appropriately describes what's going on here, and that's just shoveling the same old and calling it sugar. The public wants us to deal with the border, not to impeach Mayorkas. This comes against the backdrop of border talks. There is still no bill text. House Speaker Mike Johnson is working against the bill, but says it's, quote, absurd. He was doing the bidding of former President Trump to kill the bill. Larry? Chad, on the Americas impeachment thing, uh, going to vote out of committee today and then a House floor vote next week, or is there a different timetable? No, that's what we're hearing probably sometime late tonight out of committee. This has been going since 10 o'clock this morning. It might go deep into the night and probably the middle of next week if they have the votes. Got it. Chad Pergram, thanks very, very much. All right, folks, in just a moment, we're going to talk Senator Bill Haggerty and House Majority Leader Steve Scalise on this Mayorkas impeachment and uh, perhaps a new Senate border bill. But first, uh, my take on this illegal immigration catastrophe. Look, at former President Donald Trump sent out today a Make America Great Again circular, and it was entitled, Biden has done all he can to open the border. Mr. Trump argues that Biden terminated his successful Remain in Mexico policy. Biden signed an executive order on his first day in office to halt the construction of the border wall. 
Biden reinstated catch and release. Biden ordered ICE to stop worksite immigration enforcement. And Biden stopped deporting illegal immigrants who were in the country illegally. Plus, I would add, Title 42 was ended, and that was a pandemic health check of great importance. Now, as we know, the three-year Biden number is roughly 8 million illegals with all the sex and drug trafficking, fentanyl killing, law and order disrupting that goes along with this disaster. The House has passed H.R. 2, which is a superb bill that would essentially restore the Trump approach, build the wall, remain in Mexico, catch and deport. The Senate is now crafting a bill. Now, we don't know all the details because so far there's no legislative text. But various Senate leaks have been talking about something called a trigger authorization. This is a very bad idea. This trigger would allegedly curb immigration if 8,500 illegals arrive at the border in one day or 5,000 illegals arrive for seven days in a row. Now, for context, in December, the dailies averaged nearly 10,000. So I don't believe for one minute that President Biden or DHS Secretary Mayorkas will close the border. Whether it's 5,000 or 8,500, that is way too high anyway. House Speaker Mike Johnson calls for a policy of zero tolerance. He is right. And if Mr. Biden and the senators believe they can close the border after 5,000 or 8,500 arrive daily, then how about just closing the border? Period. Full stop. End of sentence. Just close it. What we know about the Senate bill is it will continue the parole problem, continue the asylum problem, is loaded with loopholes, and it will not end the Biden open border policy of catch and release. Migrants will not be detained, will not be sent home as they await asylum decisions. And there is no remain in Mexico. And there's no help from a Mexican military presence of about 25,000 troops, such as Mr. Trump got through his negotiation. And there is no wall in the Senate bill and there is no Title 42 in the Senate bill. From what we know, the bill in the Senate is a very bad idea. And Mr. Trump... And the House GOP and hopefully a majority of Republican senators should definitely oppose it. And that's my riff. All right. Let's get to our experts who welcome Tennessee Senator Bill Haggerty and House Majority Leader and Louisiana Congressman Steve Scalise. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Scalise, I want to play some sound from Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, which I think summarizes a lot of this. Please take a listen. Joe Biden is in violation of federal law that already exists. For one, he is not living up to his duty to deny illegal entry across the border. Instead, he's aiding that illegal entry. The second thing is he's not, once people do cross the border, uh, he is not detaining them as he's, as he's required by law. Instead, he's giving mass parole across the country. So, Mr. Scalise, mass parole across the country... They don't close the border. I don't think they will. Your bill, H.R. 2, is a whole lot better than what I'm hearing from the Senate. How do you read this, Steve Scalise? Just give us a little lowdown. How do you read this? Well, Larry, President Biden created this problem. Make no mistake about it. And he has the legal authority to fix this problem. Frankly, he has a constitutional mandate to secure our nation. Our nation is not secure when you have 
thousands of people coming across every day from countries, by the way, that want to do us harm. That's why we put together a really good bill over six months ago, H.R. 2, as you talked about, a bill that gets back to uh, the things that you need to do to have real asylum. If you want to seek asylum, you need to stay in your home country, remain in Mexico uh, and catch and release. All the things that need to happen, build the wall, are in that bill. And the president doesn't want to negotiate on it. Speaker Johnson's been very clear. Uh, any other discussions that they want about Ukraine, anything else, are non-starters until we secure America's border. We have to focus on that. We have a bill to do it. We laid out a template. What we're hearing out of the Senate, where they'll allow thousands more people to come across illegal, is a non-starter. That's dead on arrival. We already have open borders. We need to secure our border. We showed the country how to do it with H.R. 2. The president needs to get in this game. He could do it on his own through executive action. He refuses to because President Biden wants an open border. It's why Mayorkas is under heat today with this impeachment proceeding. Uh, President Biden's underwater on this issue, too, because the country is fed mm. up. The country wants right. a secure border, and so does this Congress. Senator Haggerty, welcome, sir. Thank you for doing this uh, with Mr. Scalise. We appreciate it very much. Senator Haggerty, two things I don't understand. Number one, you don't need any new legislation. If you want to close the border, close the border. I mean, it could be done by executive direction. It was undone by Biden's executive direction. And the second thing is, Senator Haggerty, this trigger mechanism sounds like a very bad idea. What do you think? Well, I have respect for my colleagues, as you know, Larry. I think they've been working very hard on a piece of legislation. I haven't seen it, though, as you mentioned. I haven't seen the text. But I'll tell you this. You and I have both been in business for years. When you're negotiating with the other side and they don't show good faith, it's time to walk away. Joe Biden, is, as Steve Scalise just said, Joe Biden has had every tool that President Trump had. President Trump secured that border, left it in the best shape that we have seen it, at least in my lifetime. Joe Biden came in and intentionally undid all of that. He's shown no good faith to try to step back up to say he was wrong, to put back in place the border wall, to begin rebuilding that again, to put back in place, remain in Mexico, third-party safe agreements. He's undone all of that. They were in the Supreme Court. The Biden administration was in the Supreme Court just last week seeking permission to take down the razor wire at our southern border that Greg Abbott put up. That is not good faith. When the other side is not negotiating in good faith, it's time to step away. What Sen we've got right now is a situation that is very, very hard to square. You know, Senator, just on these points, look at the way this bill. Now, we haven't seen the legislative text. I get that. But this trigger mechanism, um, you... <laughs> 5,000, 8,500, whatever the number is going to be, do you believe for one minute that the border will be, quote, closed if you exceed those targets? I mean, really, after what we've been through for the past three years, and it was the Mayorkas DHS that would supervise this, it would be the Biden administration, President Biden, that would, if they could close the border, they'd close the border. But they don't want to close the border, and therefore, numerical targets may sound good, Senator Haggerty, but I don't believe them. I honestly do Listen, not believe it'll ever be enforced. I think that the Biden administration has shown bad faith throughout. I think you have every legitimate reason to, to believe, just as you do, Larry, that they won't be enforced. And as complex as this sounds, again, we have not seen the text, but it sounds very complex. It's probably fraught with opportunities for the Biden administration to misinterpret it and to allow more people to come in. So I think we're all very, very concerned about that. And particularly when you talk about Secretary Mayorkas, if he's responsible for overseeing this, listen, I applaud what the House is doing right now. 
in the private sector, somebody had allowed this to happen, eight million people to enter our country illegally in the past three years under his watch, hundreds of thousands of people dying from drug overdoses, from fentanyl primarily coming across that southern border. We have no idea how many people are here on the terrorist watch list. The national security crisis is through the roof. And you've got Secretary Morcus there. In every hearing where I've cross-examined him, he's been the most Orwellian answerer of anyone that I've ever spoken with. He says the exact opposite of the truth every time. Mm. It's high time to deal with him. In the private sector, he would have been fired long ago. All right. Um, Mr. Scalia, let me come back to you on the impeachment question. Uh, here's what the Democrat report says. Let me just read this. Uh, they're not going to be with you as, you, as you reckon, quote. After a number of false starts, Republicans have landed on refusal to comply with the law and breach of the public trust as the charges against Secretary Mayorkas. These vague, unprecedented, and fallacious charges amount to policy disputes with the Biden administration and clearly do not pass muster as legitimate grounds for impeachment under the Constitution. The charges against Secretary Marcus are at base window dressing for a policy disagreement. All right, that's an interesting argument. Is this a policy disagreement or is this truly an impeachment offense, Senator, uh, Mr. Scalise? Well, first of all, Secretary Mayorkas' job is to protect America's homeland. He's the Homeland Security Secretary. And when 8 million people have come across our border illegally, including people on the terrorist watch list, he has failed miserably at his job of keeping our country safe and secure. And when he comes before Congress, he testifies under oath that America's border is secure. That's a flat-out lie. Either he's ignorant of the facts that are going on at the border, which he can't be, because everybody sees what's going on. President Biden is desperate to try to assign blame to somebody else. He puts he put his own vice president in charge of border security, and she doesn't want to have anything to do with it. She's failed miserably at the job. But the secretary of Homeland Security is the person in charge of the border. He can secure the border today. He's chosen not to. And that's a failure of his job. That's why he's facing impeachment proceedings today. And by the way, he's had months, months, Larry, to get this right. He's chosen not to. So he's brought it upon himself. So has Joe Biden. Steve Scalise, uh, will this get out of committee today or tonight? Yes, it'll get out of committee tonight. It'll be on the floor next week for the full House to vote on. What do you reckon? Uh... You think you get it through? You'll get all Republican support? I know it's a tough call, but what do you think? Yeah, and look, it's unfortunate we're at this spot, Larry, but the country is fed up. The country wants and deserves a secure border, and we've got a, a border security chief who doesn't want to secure America's border. We've got a president who doesn't want to secure America's border, uh, but the country demands it. When you look at the events around the world to allow people from every country we're not talking about South and Central America right now. There's over 160 different countries represented coming across our border illegally as we speak right now, every single day. Uh, and as Senator Haggerty talked about, the deaths from fentanyl, 150 young people a day are dying from the drugs that are being brought across our border because the drug cartels have been allowed to have operational control of our border under Secretary Mayorkas. That's another national disgrace that they're allowing to happen. So all this is going on in full public view. The public's watching it. They're fed up. And if the secretary won't do his job, well, let's impeach him and have somebody else do the job. Senator Haggerty going to give you the last word. Um, do you think there are enough Republicans? I, I'm not here to attack Senator Langford, by the way, because I think he's done the best he can do. But 
I don't really like the product, at least as it's been leaked out. Yeah. Uh, are there enough Republicans to stop this in the Senate, do you think? Well, we haven't seen text so far, and Senator Lankford has assured us all that he doesn't want to divide our conference. Based on what people are seeing, what people are hearing, we're divided right now, Larry. Yeah. So perhaps it doesn't see the light of day. That would suit me just fine if what we're hearing, what you just described, is manifest in the document. It's not going to work here in the United States Senate for the all Republicans. Right. Gentlemen, I just want to thank you both for appearing together. I, I know it's a bit unusual, but we appreciate it. We're living unusual times. Senator Bill Haggerty and House Majority Leader you, Steve Larry. Scalise, two good personal thank friends. You, thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, so Larry. All right, folks, coming up here on Cudlow, Joe Biden's economic ammunition and performance is a lot better than anybody saw coming. OK, they'll be honest about the numbers. The question is why and what does it mean politically? We have Steve Forbes and Steve Moore. They're going to weigh in. And remember, you can catch Cudlow Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. right here on Fox Business. And if you can't catch us at 4, just text your favorite 9-year-old, and she will show you how to DVR the show, and you will never miss 10,000 illegal immigrants coming over the border, maybe tomorrow. I'm Cudlow. We'll be right back. So Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen out on the hustings promoting Bidenomics. But you know what? Using the data, the actual numbers, especially the last six months, she's got a pretty strong case right now, empirically. Treasury is arguing we have a, quote, soft landing, strong labor market, rapid growth in GDP, cooling inflation, and I just want to add virtually no economic model, whether it's the Fed, CBO, Professional Forecasters Survey, the Wall Street Journal Survey, the Wall Street Consensus, or me, frankly, expected stronger growth with lower inflation, particularly in the last six months. Nobody forecasted this. So let's talk about it with Steve Moore, Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline and host of More Money on WABC Radio. And the great Steve Forbes, media chairman and editor-in-chief of, uh, and author of Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. All right, Steve Moore, objectively, I'll start with you, objectively, empirically, this was a year where almost everyone in the world, from the highest to the lowest, expected either a slow, slow growth or a recession, and a lot stickier inflation than we got. All right, and the last six months have been, you know, semi-euphoric. Those are what the numbers show. Nobody predicted it. Now, the Bidens, uh, there's a story that Biden's giving up on Bidenomics. He ought to probably stick with Bidenomics, at least for a little bit. The public doesn't like it. But why is it? How did this outcome that no model mm -hmm. predicted, Steve Moore, how did this outcome happen? Yeah, well, by the way, first of all, Larry, I want to congratulate you. I think this was the first time in the history of American TV you had a United States senator on the air with a United States House <laughs> Representatives member. That never happened, so I don't know how you pulled that off. Um, look, the economy's clearly better. I was not, just for the record, I was not one of those economists on Wall Street who said we would have a recession in 2023. Um, you know, you just have an amazing private sector. You have, you have those seven magnificent seven that have really carried the economy so dramatically. So and I always look, I love to see a strong economy as, as you and Steve Forbes do. I love to see a strong stock market. Um, I think the big problem for Biden right now is 
for at least half the population, they're just not feeling the effects of this. You know, if you look at median household income, mm. uh, you know this, you've cited this statistic many mm. times, adjusted for inflation, the average household is actually poorer today than they were uh, you know, three years ago when Donald Trump left office. And there's no getting around that. The people, you know, people tell me that at the grocery store. They see, t tell me that at the hardware store, uh, that they just are feeling financially pinched. One of the things, yeah, look, these growth numbers are pretty good. But let's not forget that the biggest sector of the economy that's growing, both in terms of employment and in terms of uh, GDP growth, has been government. And that's a problem. We should be shrinking the government, not growing it. All right. So I would argue, I mean, the uh, what I call the affordability crisis is very much present um, and prices are rising faster than wages and um, real incomes uh, still falling. But I will say this less so, Steve Forbes, less mm -hmm. so. I mean, recent months, actually, wages have gone up faster than prices as inflation has cooled. Now, over the three year period, you still have a problem. And I think that's why. Bidenomics pulse so badly. But really, it's just interesting to me. Everyone wants to politicize all these numbers. I understand that. Lefty bloggers attacking conservatives and so forth. Uh, but not, not all. It's like you can't. The Fed, CBO, I mean, they're not right-wing activists, right? They were expecting either a major slowdown or a recession. Just go back and look at their estimates, for heaven's sake. All the survey, the survey of professional forecasters, the survey of Wall Street Journal forecasts, I acknowledge that I was much gloomier than this story has turned out in 23. Why? Why do you think this is? I mean, I don't think even Joe Biden understands it because he's not talking about Bidenomics anymore. He's he, like he doesn't understand much these days. I know but, uh, he's le he's leaving it too soon. I think he's leaving it before <laughs> it peaks. But anyway, why do you think this has happened? Uh, because the models didn't take into account the COVID shutdowns. The COVID shutdowns did to this economy what a wartime economy does. Totally mm -hmm. discombobulates everything. It takes time to recover to get the supply chains working again. It takes time to have people uh, go back to their old jobs, and many of them don't. So all the models are predicated on a peacetime economy, mm. not a post-war economy, not a post-COVID economy. So as Steve alluded to, you look at that jobs report. It's got some clouds in there. You take out government, you take out health care and education, which is mostly government, and leisure, which still hasn't fully recovered from the, the lockdowns. The average came 3,000 jobs a month in recent times. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a, a small basis. And you do have a tale of two cities here. A lot of people are struggling. A lot of people are over in debt on their credit cards. And so uh, the economy is not as strong. So I hope they go out there and say, see how great it is? And the other thing is, and this is a subject for another time, but GDP counts government spending as a plus yeah. instead of a minus. Yeah. No, that, no, no, that's that's correct. I just want to add to it, though. Today, um, you had the S&P CoreLogic house prices up 5% year on year. If you own a home, that's awfully good. If you don't own a home, it's not so good. Um, consumer sentiment came out today and corroborated the earlier numbers. Big up move in December and January. And the jolts number, the jobs opening number, were stronger than people thought. The Atlanta Fed uh, GDP estimate for Q1, Steve Moore, I think is about 3%. So uh, I, I agree with you fellas about government. I've written and talked about it myself. But the question, I mean, here, go back a year. The first half of 2022 had two negative GDPs. Mm -hmm. All right. Then you've had a stronger than expected recovery. 
if you're a Phillips curve model, if you're a supply side, nobody would have predicted this. No one, to be honest with you. Um, the boom in the stock market, which really started in mid-October, late October. And by the way, Wall Street's going to be wrong. Wall Street's looking for, I don't know, six or seven Federal Reserve rate cuts. Not going to happen. There's no reason to cut rates if you're the Fed. You've got strong growth and you've got falling inflation. Uh, you know, it's like almost Goldilocks, Steve Moore. Almost Goldilocks. If Joe Biden was any good, he'd be out flogging this. Let me tell you, the guy's just not copacetic enough to deal with it. <laughs> well, I think one of the big questions that is going to be, in the, obviously, in the presidential race is, uh, are you better off than you were when Trump was yep. president? Do you think these policies are working better? And, you know, let's just take the, the stock market, for example. I just ran these numbers for your show, Larry, that if you inflation adjusts the returns, obviously, because when you invest in the stock market, right, Steve Forbes, you're interested in your after inflation, not your before inflation rate of return. So in the first three years of Trump's presidency, the S&P 500 was up over 30 percent in mm -hmm. real terms. You know what that number is under Biden, even with the rally that you're talking about? It's up about eight or nine percent. So, you know, a lot of these things were a lot better than Trump. The other crucial thing is that Biden has done a lot of damage to the economy with a lot of his policies and especially the debt policies. But let's not forget, you know, what's still intact, Larry, that tax cut, that yes. Trump tax cut yes. that really put a lot of uh, a lot of juice into the economy. And hard as the Democrats have tried, they have not been able to raise those tax rates. Well, I guarantee you, though, give them another shot. If they have another four years, those tax rates are going through the roof. I'm going to give Steve, Moore, uh, Steve Forbes the last word, 30 seconds. But Yellen and the Bidens don't talk about overspending, overborrowing, uh, and uh, I'll just say over debt. I mean, they don't talk about that, which may harbor very badly for the long run. It, it does indeed, because who finances that? What government spending does, they think money comes from God or wherever. Uh, what it comes is from we the people. Government takes the resources, allocates those resources, and calls it stimulus to the economy. Already, you look at the microchips, they're getting that huge bill that we know when government gets involved in the private sector, it mucks things up, slows things down. Microchip industry would be much stronger, semiconductor industry would be much stronger today if they'd never gotten that bill through because right. they're access yeah. to capital. They'd been able to do what they needed to do quickly. All right, I got to jump. Steve Moore, Steve Forbes, and all forecasters out there, thank you very much. Coming up, folks, Matt Taibbi writes the Democrats accused Trump of sabotaging the election. But wait a minute. It looks like it's the Democrats who are sabotaging the election. We have Alex Marlowe, Monica Crowley, and Caroline Downey coming up when Kudlow returns. All right, looks like the case against Fulton County DA Fannie Willis heating up in hot Atlanta, Georgia. Fox News senior correspondent Steve Harrigan live with the latest. Steve, what is the latest? Larry, Republican lawmakers are just lining up to investigate Fannie Willis for the charge that she had an improper relationship with the chief prosecutor that she hired. The Republican House here in Georgia, the Georgia Senate, even the Fulton County officials are all launching investigations against her. Obviously, if it's strictly a personal relationship, that's not what we're interested in. But to the extent that lines were crossed, ethical lines were crossed, potentially legal lines were crossed, that state funds were used in the furtherance of this, that's what we're interested in finding out. Now, the chief prosecutor, Nathan Wade, is back in court tomorrow. It'll be for his divorce proceedings. He's asked the judge for a protective order to try to prevent any more of his financial information from leaking out. Larry, back to you. 
All right, Steve Harrigan. Never a dull moment down there. I'm going to have to fly down. Hotlanta, Bonnie Willis, Steve Harrigan, thank you very much. All right, let's move on, folks. Interesting story here. Well-known journalist Matt Taibbi wrote two long pieces about a Democratic plot to stop Trump from becoming president. In particular, he talks about 2024 being America's first lawfare election and how the corporate media pushed in propaganda campaign to convince Americans that Trump would be a dictator. And he mentioned something called the Transition Integrity Project, which includes Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm and Clinton-Obama-Biden politico John Podesta. Uh, they all charge how Trump is going to investigate his opponents, how Trump's going to label them insurrectionists, how Trump's going to play the sabotage game and keep them off the ballot. The trouble is, it's the Democrats who have done this to Trump. The shoe has been put on the other foot. So I want to talk about this. Some of these threats are still very real. We've got Alex Marlowe, editor-in-chief of Breitbart News, Monica Crowley, former assistant treasury secretary, and host of the Monica Crowley podcast, and Caroline Downey, National Review reporter. Alex Marlowe, I want to start off with you. I mean, this is a very interesting... Mr. Taibbi, who seemed to have been a man of the left, is now criticizing the Democrats. And... Um, all of the Democratic fears about Trump, that's what they're doing to Trump, it seems to me. What do you make of it? Yeah, this has been their move for a long time, Larry, and it's working for them. You can go back to the Russia collusion hoax, which originated because it was actually Hillary Clinton whose ties to Russia were too deep. So they accused Trump of being a Russian, uh, some sort of a Russian plant to think about the Inflation Reduction Act with raised inflation. And think about Joe Biden, who acts like it's Donald Trump who's dividing the country while he relentlessly demonizes anyone who stands in the way of his agenda. This is just the latest thing. People who are opposed to democracy and don't want the voters to choose the president are telling us we're the threats to democracy, especially Trump. You know, Caroline, it's um, so right. Some of these cable shows, actually networks, too, they won't even play Trump when he's on. That's one thing that's mm -hmm. amazing. But they are accusing Trump of insurrection. It's not the other way around. They are being dictatorial. Democrats are being dictatorial. Democrats for Biden won't let anybody on the ballot so he doesn't have to face any primaries. In other words, the bag of tricks that Taibbi describes as it's, uh, allegedly aimed at Trump is what the Democrats are doing at Trump. It isn't yes. Trump doing to the Democrats. And historically, the Democrats, the Democrats operate like a military war headquarters. They're never lying dormant. When they want to consolidate power, they unleash their entire arsenal. They try to kick people off of the primary process. They're rivals, like they delegitimized New Hampshire. They try to sue their opponent, Donald Trump, into oblivion. $83 million in damages in the Gene Carroll case. They try to mm. kick them off the ballot in multiple states. I mean, this is their classic tactic, and, uh, but, they're, but they're getting more transparent, I think, and so now they're resorting to more devious and conniving schemes. Monica, I mean, so far, it hasn't hurt Trump. It may have even helped Trump in some respects. But, you know, the election looms, Mail-in ballots and harvesting are still around. Uh, cable and broadcast networks won't play Trump when he comes on. I mean, I think there's stuff to worry about, uh, even though the Taibbi scenario is putting, putting the shoe on the other foot. The Democrats are going to do it anyway. 
Well, yeah, no, that's right. Listen, Donald Trump, from the moment he came down that escalator in June of 2015, the left has thrown the kitchen sink at this man to try to neutralize his influence on American politics, and everything has failed. So they cannot believe that the man is not just still standing, Larry, but the fact that he is thriving. Obviously, the GOP primary process is over, despite Nikki Haley, and he's leading now in most, if not all, general elections polls against Joe Biden. Um, so they can't believe it. So they're going to leverage this lawfare as much as they can. And perhaps the deep state has something else uh, up their sleeve to throw at Donald Trump to try to stop him. But the ultimate result is that all of these things have, in fact, strengthened him. Mm. Because if they hit Donald Trump with just one legal case, maybe the American people would say, well, maybe he's guilty of it or not. But this massive pylon of case after case case after case, criminal, civil, you name it, being thrown at Donald Trump. Most of the American people now see it as way too much that the left has jumped the shark. And this is yet another reason why Donald Trump is leading. Well, Alex, you know, OK, uh, Democrats planned and plotted, you know, John Podesta and so forth. Um, but it's backfired, has it not, Alex? I mean, that's the irony. The way I read the Taibbi articles Yes, I understand that's their threat, but it has backfired on the Democrats. Trump has not done it. They've done it. It hasn't helped them. Plus, they don't have any issues to talk about. I mean, maybe, ironically, they might talk about a strengthening economy if it kept up this year. We don't know that it will. But don't you find that ironic? Don't you find that big miscalculation by the Democratic bigwigs? Well, if the polls that we're seeing right now hold, then absolutely. But there's a long way to go until November. And if you look at the army that the left is building, we have huge reporting on it with something called Indivisible, which kind of originated out of the Hillary Clinton debacle, which is just massive hordes of money and activists ready to go and fight for every last Democrat vote. I don't know if the Republicans have that. And then if you think about what's happening online with tech, which minimizes the impact of any horrible news about Joe Biden. Take all that into account and the media trying to flood the zone with anti-Trump content and not what's actually going on in this country. And I don't underestimate the left until we beat them, Larry. And we haven't had a resounding victory since 2016. No, you're right. Um, it's not over until it's over, uh, to quote a famous philosopher. Caroline, new poll, uh, Fabrizio poll, guy's a great pollster, uh, in South Carolina, 63, Trump, 31, uh, Nikki Haley. And interesting, among among voters who think Haley did a good job as governor of South Carolina, still uh, by 56 to 40, they are going to be voting for Trump. This according to uh, Tony Fabrizio polling. He's uh, really good. Um, why is she still in the race? And doesn't this drain resources if she stays in from the Trump campaign instead of devoting it to Biden? They have to play in the pond a little bit more with Nikki Haley. Well, technically, Larry Haley has the right to still be yeah, in the yeah. race, you know, better than kicking her off the ballot. That would be undemocratic. But South Carolina is Trump country. Overwhelmingly, she's going to suffer a humiliating defeat there. I think at this point, it's it's selfish for her to remain in this contest. Uh, I, I think really she has the money to continue on. But, uh, you know, she has to read the writing on the wall and uh, it's over. <laughs> I actually, you know, that's um, Monica. It is over. But Monica, I haven't heard much from Haley this week. Actually, haven't heard much. There was a little flurry after New Hampshire. She was very defensive. 
Uh, Kim Strassel wrote an article saying we don't know what she's running on. Uh, that's kind of a chink in the Wall Street Journal armor because they usually attack Trump on a, Trump on a daily basis. I haven't heard much from Haley. You think something's going on, Monica? Are we going to get hit with an announcement about Haley? You think politicians always love to say no, 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 right until the time they say yes, I'm pulling out? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she has been campaigning in her home state of South Carolina, but all of these polls show Donald Trump dominating her by like 60, even 70 points uh, in her home state. So, look, she has a lot of money still coming in from big donors. In fact, you know, I'm sitting here in West Palm Beach and Joe Biden is in Palm Beach. Now, President Trump is not here today, um, but I was hoping that uh, Joe Biden would be in Palm Beach to make a trip to Mar-a-Lago to apologize to Donald oh, Trump. Yes, of course. Um, but that yes. is not the case. Oh, but, no. you know, Nikki, Nikki Haley is also in South Florida raising money, but she's raising money from Barack Obama donors, big Democratic donors. So they're the ones keeping her uh, campaign alive, breathing air into it with real money because they're still hoping for a Trump alternative. But I have news for them. Donald Trump is going to be the nominee and likely the next president of the United They're States. They're going to sit down. I love this. Nikki Haley, Joe Biden and Donald Trump going to sit down and have some chocolate cake dessert at Mar-a-Lago. Trump's favorite dessert. It's absolutely fact. He had it with he had it with Xi Jinping uh, a bunch of years ago uh, on the night that he bombed Syria, bombed the hell out of Syria. Um, Alex Marlowe, let me just ask you one thing out there. Um, machine ballots and harvesting okay this is the democratic specialty uh, specialty de, de, de maison de la maison let me get my french right it is the specialty of the house democrats machine ballots and harvesting what do you make of this this to me is still a huge election threat you get the last word uh, absolutely, Larry. I have a my latest story at Breitbart.com is on this exact subject. It's a comprehensive story about the history of ballot harvesting in recent elections and how the Democrats used it last time. They're going to use it again. They're going to use every excuse they can to make the rules as lax as possible. And Larry, just last thing I got to say, Nikki Haley's donors, they're trying to leverage Trump. They're trying to get stuff out of Trump in if Trump wins. That's what's going on there. And uh, that's why oh, she should drop out as soon as possible. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Uh, thank you, everybody. Alex Marlowe and Monica Crowley and Caroline Downey out here on set, so I'm not lonely. She was babysitting me. All right, folks, coming up next, Joe Biden says he's made up his mind on retaliating against Iran's fatal attack on our troops. So we're going to talk about next up when Kudlow returns. What is Biden going to do? I hope it is tough, tough, tough. So Joe Biden is vowing retaliation for Iran's deadly attacks, but we don't know how, when, where and why. The question is, will uh, appeasement give way to deterrence? Our own Edward Lawrence live at the White House with the latest. What is the latest, Edward? Yeah, Larry, the answer may be soon. Yeah, President Biden did say that he's decided on a response to that attack that killed three American troops, as well as injured 40 other, other people. But he won't tell us what it is. Now, Secretary of State Antony Blinken says that this will be a multi-level response. It will come in stages uh, and it will be sustained. Uh, but again, they won't say exactly what this response is. The administration says Iranian-backed proxies uh, attacked U.S. positions at least 166 times since October 17th. Now, Republicans Republicans say this administration gave Iran a pass, and this is the result. 
the Obama-Biden foreign policy has been one of appeasement and conciliation. We have to totally reverse that policy, starting with retaliatory strikes right now and continuing beyond that to ensure that we're no longer trying to bribe the Ayatollahs with billions of dollars. We're not looking the other way whenever they cheat on sanctions. Uh, the three American heroes that died in the attack uh, in Jordan, uh, Sergeant William Rivers, Specialist Kennedy Sanders, and Specialist Brianna Moffitt. Uh, President Biden says that he'll be going to the dignified transfer of remains in Dover, Delaware, for these three. He spent the day in southern Florida today at two campaign events. He's currently at his second event. His administration relaxed or ignored sanctions against oil exports from Iran, which uh, backs the proxies. No change in that policy there. And the president splitting hairs about if he blames Iran for the the deaths of the American troops. I do hold them responsible in the sense that they're supplying the weapons to the people who did it. Do you think yeah, again, uh, going after the weapons. He holds them responsible for the weapons, not the act itself. So we're going to have to see the Iranians, as you know, back all of these proxies which are launching these attacks. Larry? All right, Edward Lawrence, I love it when you call them heroes. Thank you for that very much, yeah. and thanks for a great report. Folks, I'll be right back with my last one. So just say no to the Senate border bill, you know? Save America. Kill the bill. We need zero tolerance. And then always say yes.